Well, thank you, Braden, for leading us in that. Um, man, that was a great week, uh, and I'm thankful for Braden leading that week. And um, I think a lot of prayers were answered because, I mean, Braden was in a van full of like 14 girls, <laughs> like middle school girls. That's in, that's intense. Um, but I got to be with the the middle school boys, so. I was being prepared for my little boys being 14-year-old boys, but being in the car with them for like 11 hours is, it's a um, happy Father's Day, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so, but, but for real, happy Father's Day. Uh, the other day I was, um, I was thinking, I was just so, super thankful um, for the fact that my two young boys have two godly granddads to look up to. And, uh, and so I, I encourage them to um, write a, a thank you note of appreciation and love for uh, their grandpas for Father's Day. And um, they each uh, decided to draw a picture. Um, for my dad, he's been in aviation his whole life, and so they drew an airplane for him. Um, and then for my father-in-law, they drew a, um, him working on wood. And so he, he, he loves to work at his lathe. He builds um, like little snowmen or tree houses or bowls or honey pots and stuff like that. And uh, Titus drew a really great picture of him working at his lathe. And, uh, and I, was, I was talking to him the other day, and, um, and he was like, I was working at the lathe, and uh, he said um, the garage door was open. Um, and, you know, I'm minding my own business. He's like, and then this horse fly, like, comes in. You know, if, you're, if you've ever seen a lathe, like, you know, like, you can't just, like, swat while you're working. And uh, he said this horsefly was, like, buzzing around his head, um, and then it decided to take a big chunk out of his leg. And he decided to stop working at the lathe and pursue the horsefly for the next 15 minutes. And that's all he thought about, and that's all he did until he, until he got it. Um, and he said... Um, he said, when, I was, when I'm thinking about my life, he said, I never really pursued the Lord. He's like, but I, when I think about how many times throughout my young adult life, he said, the Lord was pursuing me, and he buzzed by me multiple times. He's notorious for doing animal devotionals, um, and so he's adding this one to his portfolio. But, uh, but he said, the Lord would buzz by me multiple times until he got my attention, and he was relentless in doing it until he, I finally went after him. And, uh, and so when we, were, we, were, we, we like to discuss, you know, what we're walking through as a church. And um, in Genesis 28, uh, we see Jacob um, not seeking the Lord. He's not going after God. He's kind of minding his own business, traveling by himself. Um, and then the Lord makes himself known. Okay, so you could say this is just sovereign initiative, if you will. Uh, but y'all remember last week, uh, this is, we're just picking up where we left off. Last week, um, how it ended was Esau was bre- breathing murderous threats to his brother um, for cheating him out of the blessing. And, and so he can't keep these desires to himself. He's like, I want to kill my brother so bad that he's telling people about it. Uh, and so Rebecca convinces Isaac that Jacob needs to get out of there, right? Remember the, the end of chapter 27, uh, Rebecca is telling Jacob, um, Rebecca's telling Isaac, I, I don't want him to marry one of the Hittite women like Esau did, right? And, and so we pick up with the story in, uh, in Genesis 28, verse 1. And, and then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him publicly. 
and directed him, you must not take a wife from the Canaanite women. So there's an interesting turn of events here, right, in the marriage, whereas it was kind of like on the rocks. Isaac listens to Rebekah now and agrees. And all the wives in the room said, amen, right? He finally listened to me, you know? Oh, but on a serious note, if, if, you're, if you're single, right, the truth that you can take away from this passage just in verse 1 is that you shouldn't want to be married to an unbeliever. Don't even date an unbeliever, right? It's not wise because you two have totally different worldviews, totally different foundations, and it would not end up well. So Isaac is, he's openly recognizing now Jacob as the heir of the Abrahamic covenant, and he gives him instruction because God said for him not to marry a pagan woman. And then he's, your mother also doesn't want you to do that, so don't be like your brother. Listen up, dude, All right? Do this. Verse 2, arise, go to Pada Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take as your wife from there one of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of peoples. May he give the blessing of Abraham to you and to your offspring with you, that you may take possession of the land of your sojournings that God gave to Abraham. Thus Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Pada Aram to Laban and the son of Bethuel and the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, Jacob's and Esau's mother. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to us tonight. Father, I thank you so much for your word. God, I, I thank you that um, you have truly blessed us, that we have your word in front of us tonight, that you've brought us to this place, each and every one of us. Lord, and, and some coming in this room um, are not even thinking about you. They haven't thought about you all day. And, and, and I pray that tonight would be a totally unexpected encounter with you, the true and living God. I pray that as we read your word, that your spirit would speak to us, that you would meet us where we are and refuse to leave us in that place. I pray that you would expose our hearts, Lord, and I pray that you would teach us more about you, that we would truly know that you are with us and that you are God alone. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so Isaac is, is blessing Jacob. And this time, he's doing it publicly. He's not hiding away in his room, right? He acknowledges with his wife that, that Jacob is God's chosen one to bring the seed of the woman uh, into the world, the promised seed, and that the Messiah would come from Jacob's descendants. And so Isaac wants his son to marry a God-fearing woman, not a God-rejecting one. And, and so uh, if you look at verse 3, it says God Almighty. In the Hebrew, that means El Shaddai. Have you ever heard of that name of God, El Shaddai? And so Isaac blesses Jacob with very similar words from Genesis 17, where God gave his covenant vow to Abraham. So the word for um, a company of peoples here in this blessing, some translations actually say a community of peoples. In the Hebrew, um, it's kahal, and in the Greek, the Old Testament translated it as ekklesia. Maybe you've heard that before. Um, which in the New Testament means church. And so this is um, nothing less than the beginning of Israel, which uh, Jacob would, his name would later become. Uh, so God's covenant people, which would later include you and I, those who are in Christ. So in verse five, Isaac sent Jacob away, um, which would serve as a refuge for him, 
right? He's fleeing, number one, because his brother wants to kill him. But number two, because he needs to find a good wife. So it was a really good motivation to get away. Uh, and so um, this didn't make Esau happy. He sees this. He hears this. So this isn't done in secret. Now he knows his dad is, is full out blessing his younger brother. So how would he respond? Well, look at verse 6. It says, Now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Paran Aram and to take a wife from there, and that as he blessed him, he directed him. So he's given him instructions. You must not take a wife from the Canaanite women, and that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Paran Aram. And so he's like, little brothers listening and obeying dad and mom? Hmm. So when Esau saw that, the Canaanite women did not please Isaac and his father. Esau went to Ishmael and took as his wife besides the wives that he had. Mahaloth, that's a great name. The daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebaioth. So Ishmael is dead, okay? So he's going to Ishmael's people, right? He's going the opposite direction of his brother. He's doing the exact opposite of the instruction that his father gave to his younger brother. He deliberately is displeasing his father. He's dishonoring him, right? He's disobeying him, and he's, he's going away even further from the blessing, and he's uniting with Ishmael to hurt Isaac, potentially. So either this is intentionally malicious or it's just blind ignorance. Either way, it's not wise. And so we're going to pick up with the main part of the narrative in verse 10. It says, Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. So Jacob's traveling north. Okay, he's all alone. Uh, this is the same journey, if you remember, back in Genesis 24, that Abraham's servant took with a large company and a lot of camels. Okay, so he's, he's going north. Um, and so Jacob is traveling alone. He's not with a bunch of people. We're not told that, he's, that he has servants with him. We're not told that he has camels, right? Like he's traveling by himself. He's childless. He's wifeless. He has no company. He has no family. He has no friends. He's got nobody to talk to. And it's a consequence of his own conniving ways. And in verse 11, he came to a certain place and he stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. I would have to imagine that you had to be really tired to see a stone and be like, that looks like a good pillow. I want to use that as a pillow. But he must have been exhausted, and he must have fallen asleep really fast because you don't dream unless you're in a really deep sleep. And look what verse 12 says. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and at the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And so the angels are, are supernatural beings created by God. Or they're, they're, they're ministers of God to carry out God's will and purposes on the earth and in heaven. And some refer to this as Jacob's ladder. But Jacob had no part in building it right, or traversing it. Like He's just watching, observing in his dream. Only God could have done this. Right? And I couldn't help but think, as I was reading through this, as I was studying through this, I couldn't help but think of the Tower of Babel, right? The, the men of the world wanted to build a tower to reach the heavens, to make a name for themselves, yet because it was man-made, it couldn't reach heaven, right? This ladder 
the Jacob sees is God-given. It's the connecting point between heaven and earth. And I, I was really pleased to read later in one of the commentaries, there was a similar connection. He said, uh, Jacob's encounter with God in stark contrast to that of the builders of Babel was unsought for, unexpected, undeserved. He wasn't looking for God. He had done nothing in his life to earn God's favor. Quite the reverse. He was a liar and a cheat. So this is not Jacob's ladder. This is Jesus's ladder, right? Just like the builders of Babel couldn't do anything to get God, get to God, Jacob couldn't do anything to get to God, and he wasn't even searching for God, right? We, we likewise, if we're honest with ourselves, we're liars and we're cheaters. We don't seek the Lord apart from his intervention, right? It would, thinking that you could get to heaven, thinking that you could save yourself, is as silly as taking one of these and climbing it and acting like you're going to get to heaven. Now, I'm not going to go to the very top. I can't even change a light bulb in this room with this stepladder, right? Like, how silly would it be to, to act like, like, I can do it. I can fix myself. I can get myself out of this situation. I can fix my life. I can get to God right? I can clean myself up. We can't, right? That's never going to work. We don't seek the Lord. When we see Jacob in this story, right, he's not, he's not running after God. He, he's by himself in a desolate place, surrounded by dirt and rocks. This is God's sovereign initiative. Right? The, the great church father Augustine wrote this, we could not even have begun to seek God unless he first found us. We could not even have begun to seek him unless he first found us. So God comes to man. In 1 John, I'm sorry, in John chapter 1, Jesus actually mentions this ladder. But he doesn't even say the name ladder. Because he knows it's pointing to him, Nathaniel was startled by this encounter that he's having with this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And so Jesus surprises Nathaniel with his omniscience because he's not just a man. And this is what it says in John 1, 49 through 51. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You're the king of Israel. And Jesus answered and said, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, listen up. I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So Jesus is the ladder, the connecting point between sinners and God. Jesus is the true stairway to heaven. He's the only way to God. He came down to us. We don't seek him. He seeks us out. We cannot be saved without him seeking us out. So while the ladder was pretty awesome, right, God speaking to Jacob was even more amazing. Look at verse 13. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, so the Lord is at the top of the ladder. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you. And will keep you wherever you go, 
and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. There's so much here. There's so much meaning. There's so much promise from the mouth of God. Jacob did nothing to earn God's approval or gain his blessing. This is all God's grace and God's pure, unmerited, undeserved favor. God speaks to Jacob a word of assurance, comfort, and hope. God spoke. He reaffirmed the covenant blessing. Right now, it's one thing for that blessing to go from Abraham to Isaac. It's another thing for that blessing to go from Isaac to Jacob. It's a completely different thing for that blessing to go from God's mouth to Jacob. Right? This is, this is El Shaddai. This is Yahweh himself speaking, giving the promise of land and of offspring and of his presence to his chosen one. So this promise incorporates the nation of Israel and eventually the church, the people of God, the seed of the woman, the Messiah to bless all the nations on the earth. Can you imagine how encouraging? Can you you just imagine how uplifting, how motivating it would have been to have heard verse verse 15 out loud? Behold, I am with you. You're all alone. You think you're by yourself, right? In his despondency, in his deepest, darkest place. I am with you. I'll keep you wherever you go. Wherever you go, I'm going to be there. You can't go anywhere where I'm not there. And I'll bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I promised to you. Jacob is running to a place he's never been before. He's running to a place of refuge. But he had no idea that God was his true refuge. Jacob was in trouble, man. He was, he was running away from somebody who wanted to murder him, to kill him. And he's all alone. He's in trouble. He's vulnerable. Right? He, he needed help. And the Lord himself provided the help. And perhaps the writer of Psalm 46 was thinking about this scene when he wrote this. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Maybe you need to hear that tonight. Maybe you need to hear God speaking that tonight, that his chief blessing wasn't the land, wasn't the offspring, it was himself. His chief blessing was himself. When my boys were really little, uh, we got a lot of of books to read to them, um, but their great-grandparents gave them one book that whenever they were afraid at night or at any point in time, they would read this book, and it had a little kitty cat on the front of it. It was really cute. It had a little prayer in it. And the the kitty cat was talking about whenever it got all skittish and tearful and afraid. It said, I would remind myself to pray this prayer. God, you are good. God, you are near. God, you are here. And God, you love me. And then I feel better. And that's what it just repeated throughout the book. Right? And it's such a simple prayer, such a simple thought, but it's so profound. And it's such a reaffirming truth, right? Try to put yourself in in Jacob's shoes for a second. Imagine how alone he really felt. He's by himself. 
He's away from home, right? He's, he's single, no companion. Now, God's reminding him of his omnipresence. He's reassuring him, I've got you. You can't go anywhere where I don't have you. I'm gonna keep you. I'm never gonna leave you. I'm going to be with you. I am trustworthy. This is the exact opposite of anything Jacob's ever heard before, or what he's experienced before. And what was God's intent on speaking these promises to Jacob? It was to wake him up, right? Not literally, but spiritually. Like, wake up, taste and see that I am good. Listen to me. I'm here with you. I've got grace for you. In his commentary, Kent Hughes said, Jacob was not seeking God. He was fleeing the consequences of his deception. He was not expecting grace, but grace was unleashed upon his soul. He was not expecting grace, but grace was unleashed upon his soul. Wake up. And wake up he did in more ways than one. Look at verse 16. Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. Surely the Lord is in this place. And what? I didn't know. I didn't know it. I, I didn't see God. I wasn't expecting God. I wasn't expecting to have an encounter with Yahweh. But surely the Lord is in this place. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God is here? That God is with you? Do you believe that God is not distant? That he didn't, he didn't just create everything and then go away and sit down and leave you alone? Do you believe that he's not far off, but he is near? For one of his names that he has chosen to reveal himself is Emmanuel. Yahweh, Emmanuel, God with us. Even in our darkest night, when it seems like the sun has set on us, when it seems like no one can see me, no one knows me, no one knows what I'm going through, I'm all alone, God is with us. Jacob is rocked. This, this is a, a revel, revelatory truth that God is with him always, no matter where he goes. So how would he respond? How, how is he, his life going to be different from this moment on? When well, verse 17 is a start, it says that he was afraid. That's a good start. You have a dream. You see a stairway to heaven. You see this ladder connecting heaven and earth. You see a bunch of angels. God speaks to you, I, kind of, I would be afraid too, right? And then he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. I kind of I think it would almost be like that, the Mount Transfiguration moment for him, but in the Old Testament, right? Like Peter had no idea what to say when Jesus just shows up bright in front of him and he's like, uh, uh, can I build a house for you? He doesn't know. Jacob's like, he's like, this place is awesome. Like, surely his mind had to be filled with like a bunch of uncertainty, right? Like he had, he had fear all over his life. He's fearing the past. He's fearing the, the, the future. He could be fearing the present. He has no idea where, what he's gonna experience, who he's gonna find. He has no idea what he's gonna do. And, and now he has the fear of the Lord. 
He didn't have it before, but now he's got it. This is a proper fear. This is a, a mixed fear of, of dread and adoration because he is, he's got these mixed emotions. He's super excited. This is awesome, but it's, this is Yahweh at the very same time. So he's afraid. And that word afraid in the Hebrew is the same word that Adam used in the garden when God came looking for him when he was exposed by his sin. It's the same word that Sarah used when God came to her and said, you laughed, and she denied it. Said, I didn't laugh. She was afraid. It's the same word that Lot used when God judged Sodom. The fear of the Lord is a good thing. We should fear him because he's awesome. Right? His awesomeness no one can fathom. Right? Jacob rightly feared him. He acknowledged that this is God's place. Like God owns this place. This is God's house. This is the gate of heaven. And spiritually speaking, God's presence and access is there. It's, it's actually everywhere, right? Ha, have you ever maybe forgotten yourself that you weren't alone? I know I have. Sometimes I feel like just super alone. But then I'm, I'm not really alone ever. Jacob's saying that God was there, but he didn't even know it, right? God is here, but to some He's unrecognizable. Often, we are unaware of his presence. In the darkest places of our lives, when we feel abandoned, when nothing seems to make sense, we need to remember that God is there, that God is with you. I was reading recently a testimony of a persecuted believer, uh, and I thought of Jacob alone in his darkest place and in despair, not realizing that God was there, that God was with him. And in, in this testimony, this young Muslim woman had just lost her husband to cancer. She's 24 years old and has four children. And now she's a widow. And right before he passed away, he was a believer. Very, he had just heard the gospel and seen the love of Christ in his life and trusted in the Lord before he died, she became a believer. And this is a portion of her testimony. I'll just read it for you. After her husband's death, Aisha became an outspoken witness to her new faith, perhaps the most effective evangelist in that area. Her Muslim family and friends couldn't silence her witness. The authorities eventually took notice. Even though her nation didn't have a history of imprisoning women, the police finally arrested her. She was lectured and threatened with every imaginable punishment. Her captors threw her not into an actual jail cell, but down into the dank, dark, unfinished cellar of the police station. In that place, there was no light at all. The unfinished cellar had a dirt floor. Spiders, bugs, and rats scurried across her and around her in the darkness. Terrified and at the point of giving up, she told us that she intended to scream out to God that she couldn't take any more. But when she opened her mouth in protest and despair, a melody of praise rose out of her soul instead. And she sang. Surprised and strengthened by the sound of her own voice and overwhelmed by this renewed sense of God's presence beside and inside of her, she began to sing her praise and worship to Jesus even more loudly. And as she sang, she noticed that the office above the police station, above her head, became strangely quiet, silent, in fact. And later that night, the, chili, the, 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 chilif pri, pri, <laughs> the, the chief of police 
one of the most powerful men in the city, came and got Aisha and, and sighed in disbelief and said, I don't understand you. You are not afraid of anything. My wife and daughters and all of the women in my family are afraid of everything, but you are not afraid of anything. I want you to come to my house so that you can tell everybody in my family why you're not afraid. And I want you to sing that song you were singing. In our darkest night, in our darkest place, when we think we're by ourselves, God is there. When we forget that he's there, he's with us. Jake, Jacob's mixture of emotions and reactions lead him to worship. Look at verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and he, he set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it. So the, the rock pillow now becomes a pillar, a mini depiction of the vision of the stairway or the ladder. And the oil that he pours on top of it is because God spoke to him from the top of it and he knows now and he is acknowledging now that all of his blessings, anything in his life that's good has come from the Lord from the top down. And so this is a milestone moment in Jacob's life. He's setting something up because he can't forget it. He won't forget it, right? This is a personal encounter with a holy God. The God of his grandfather, the God of his father has now become his God. A personal encounter. In verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel. And that means house of God. But the name of the city was Luz at the first. And then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give to me, I will give a full tenth to you. So his worship was pure, but his vow was really not. He included some ifs and some thens in his vow. Almost like he's trying to strike a bargain with God, like he did with Esau in the bowl of soup. But that's not how faith works. Right? Sanctification is a really slow process for any, any believer, and anybody would acknowledge that. One commentator said, Jacob is a real piece of work here. He's a work in progress, right? He's got a long way to go. His vow is vintage, conniving Jacob. He's more scoundrel than saint in this passage. Still, he tries to strike a deal with God, but God's grace is not earned, bought, or bargained for. It would take more time for Jacob, but he would learn that God's grace is our only hope. We cannot use God. We cannot scheme with God. We can't get a blessing with God by bargaining with God. Jacob was astonished and afraid when he realized that he was in God's presence because he knows how sinful. He knows how rebellious. He knows how guilty he was. And like Jacob, I wonder, do you feel alone? Are, are you running from something? Are you in a dark place? Like Jacob, have you, have you heard of or maybe been taught about God from your parents or your grandparents, but you've never encountered God personally? Tonight, God is speaking through his word. God's speaking through Jacob's story to you tonight. 
Don't wait until you hit rock bottom to turn to the Lord. You don't have to wait until you're in your darkest hour to acknowledge the Lord. Tonight, right where you are, there's a ladder resting at your feet, made available to you. And at the top of that ladder is the one who created you, is the one who loves you, is the one who knows you, who sees you when nobody else does, who sees what you think, what you've done, when nobody else sees. Jesus, he's the connection point between heaven and earth. Jesus is the ladder. Jesus is not an angel. Jesus is fully God. He's fully man. He's the only God-man. He's the Messiah, Jesus. He's the final Bethel, the house of God, the true end-time temple, the place that all humans would be restored and right fellowship with God. In him, in Christ, all of the unclean can be made clean because Jesus made promises and he kept them. He keeps his word. He also made promises before he even ascended back into heaven to his disciples and he kept those promises and he sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, to dwell with us. He promised, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you, no matter where you go. And he's kept those promises to this day. So stop trying to use stepladders to get to the Lord. Like get off your stepladder. Get on your knees. Acknowledge his presence, his power to save Surrender your life to him. Trust in him alone. Now, to the believers in the room, is your heart as cold and hard as the pillow that Jacob rested his head on? Awake from your spiritual slumber and recognize that Jesus can see you, not only outside, but inside. Even when you're not aware of it, he sees all of it even when we don't see God, even when we believers don't acknowledge God, when we don't remember that he is there, he's fully aware, he's fully there, and he knows what's happening in your life right now. So are you aware that he is here? And are you worshiping him? Are you worshiping him rightly? Ian Duguid said, if Jacob was drawn to worship by the privilege of standing at the bottom of the staircase that led to God, how much more should we as Christians be drawn to worship, to sing? For in Christ, we are able to approach the very throne of God himself. Man, I pray that God would grip our hearts, that he would awaken our minds to the awesome reality of his holy presence. And may we vow not with ifs and thens, but may we vow with love to the Lord, with all of our heart, no strings attached, may we vow and may his grace be received by us. And may we be eager, cheerful, and generous givers. Because when you've encountered the Lord, you want to say like Jacob, I'll give, I'll live for you, I'll give to you every day. It'll be a choice for us. Every day, it's a choice for you, believer, whether you trust in the Lord or whether you turn to your own way. Will you give in to the temptations of this world or will you trust the Lord and remember that he is there? Man, far too often, sin wins over faith in God's presence. 
Far too often we give in to the temptations and we forget that he is there. We forget his promises. But guess what? There's hope. There's hope. I pray, I pray that you would remember the God of the latter. The God that in his grace made a way, opened the gate of heaven, and came to us when we could not get to him. That Jesus is the gate that opens the door and makes a way for us to come to the Father and become his children. And if you are a faltering saint today, remember the amazing grace shown to us in the cross of Christ. That Jesus is not only the gate, but he's the ladder that grants us access to get to God. And may we not just try to live for Jesus, but may we walk with Jesus because he is with us. Close your eyes as I read these amazing words from Ephesians chapter two as we close. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and, make, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Father God, I thank you so much for your presence. I thank you for sending Jesus to be the manifestation of your presence and power on the earth. I thank you for this amazing gospel that you have given to us that you have made a way when there was no way for us to have a relationship with you. I thank you that you have made yourself available to those who would acknowledge that they can't, but you already have. That you came to this earth, that you took our place living a perfect life, that you died a sacrificial death, that you rose victoriously from the dead and that you're alive today, interceding, mediating, being our advocate right now beside the Father. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes, that we might see you as you are in all of your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.